All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, it is great to have everybody here this 4th of July weekend. I know we're heading into it this Wednesday, but we're glad that you all are here. We know a lot of people are traveling already for the weekend, and so I want to welcome everybody that's watching online, whether you're traveling or at the beach or just not able to be here. Just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. My name is Steve Husky, and I'm the lead pastor here at Faith Church, and again, it's our privilege to have every single one of you in the house or watching online. Hey, listen, real quick, before we jump into the message, I just want to just uh, throw something out from my heart to yours and maybe to help us as a church be better. Um, as many of you know who are part of this place, you know that, again, we just continue to grow as a church. And as we grow, we face some logistical challenges. Uh, for example, uh, moving people in and out of services, moving people in and out of the kids' center and out of our parking lot. Uh, sometimes that's a challenge. And so we have put into place some very intentional people and processes to help make all of those logistics easy. For example, we have a parking team that helps move traffic in and out. We have police officers that help get people out of the parking lot onto Route 72. We have security team that helps move people in and out of the worship center with some of the rest of our guest services like our ushers. And here's what I would ask for you. Um, because again, we want to be a church that's reaching more people and growing. Here's what I would ask. I would just ask that every single one of you just help us to be more amenable to listen to people People who are in the right places giving instructions. For example, if you could help us specifically in the parking lot, if there's a parking lot attendant waving you in a certain direction, I know you may not have wanted to go that route, uh, but if you could just follow them, again, they will help everybody get in and out quicker. As you're pulling onto Route 72, if the police officer out, is out there moving, the, trying to move the traffic, do us a favor and don't feel like you have to stop, follow the police officer's directions. And again, even in here, moving people in and out of the worship center or different requests that we have. If you could do us a favor, please just listen to people who are posted and follow their instructions. I know a lot of us have been here a long time and maybe we're not used to parking at a certain place or entering or exiting a certain door. But again, it's all about just making this entire experience incredible for everybody. So thank you so much as you help us with that. Well, hey, listen, this is a, this is a pretty, big, uh, pretty big deal that we're going to talk about today. And so I just want to pray, ask God to prepare our hearts this morning as we, we get ready to tackle a really tough challenge. So Father, we just come in the name of Jesus, thankful, Father, for your grace. God, I believe that you want to teach us and grow us and develop us. So Lord, I pray that as we tackle this challenge, that God, you'll speak to our hearts. God, help us to grow through it. Help us to learn. Help us to trust God, who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And Father, we thank you in advance, God, for changing every life in this room, every life watching this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen, I got to tell you something kind of funny that happened uh, just about a week ago. So it's about one o'clock in the morning in my house and uh, I'm up late. Most of you guys know I am a night owl. So I'm up at one o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden I hear everybody else is in bed, but I hear one of my daughters come out of their bedroom and as she comes out, she says these words, Dad, there's a goat in the backyard. Now, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I, my first response was I thought maybe she was sleepwalking or maybe I missed, misheard her. So I said, um, I said what, say that again. She said, Dad, there's a goat in the backyard. Now, I've never seen any goats in our neighborhood. I've, I mean, we see dogs and some cats. That's about it. So I, I didn't really have a clue what she was talking about. I thought she was confused. I thought maybe she was sleepwalking because, like, we have three kids, and we've seen them all sleepwalk and sleep talk at different times. So, uh, again, I thought maybe that's what was happening. So she says it a third time, and she flips on the lights out our back door, and she goes out there, and while she's out there, she comes right back in, and she's like, Dad, she said, I just seen a big white dog carry a baby goat away. 
again, it was the, it was the wildest thing. But um, so like we kind of talk about it. She goes back to bed. And sure enough, the next day, I come into the office, and when she gets up, she sends me a picture. Here, it wasn't a baby goat. What had happened was she had heard, like, some kind of animal in distress out of her bedroom window and came out to look, and it wasn't a baby goat. But in our backyard was this, like, half-eaten fawn, like this little baby deer. This dog had gotten a hold of it and literally ate everything from the neck to the hind legs. Like, it was a head, a spine, and back legs, and it was laying in our backyard. And so, man, my daughter, she's, you know, she's got a real heart of compassion for animals. And so she's brokenhearted and she's like, you know, dad, why did this happen? And, uh, you know, she's so brokenhearted. In fact, we went home. If it was up to me, I'd have chucked that carcass in the backyard somewhere out in the woods, but she actually wanted to bury it. So we did that, dug a hole and buried this thing. But again, she's wrestling like with this baby fawn getting eaten by this big dog. And she's like, you know, dad, like, you know, why did this happen? Man, this poor fawn, this poor deer, like she was so broken. And, you know, some of us in this room, if you are more compassionate towards animals, you know, that might bother you. Some of us, you know, we may not be bothered. But let me tell you when we are bothered. We are bothered when we're the goat. We're bothered and we start to ask questions when something bad happens to us. In fact, have you ever been in the place where you ask the question, hey, God, why is this happening to me? Like, God, you know, why am I going through this situation? Have you ever been in the place where you're wondering, like, why is God responding the way he is? Why is God allowing this to happen to you? Why is, you know, God, where are you at when my marriage is breaking down? God, where are you at when I, when I just lost my career, just lost my job? God, where are you at when I just got the doctor's report? See, those questions of, of wondering why God is doing what he's doing and why he's allowing what he's allowing. And God, if you're allowing it, man, you're, there's just no way you're as good as everybody tells me you are. See, we all ask those questions, and those questions can be answered in a book of the Bible called Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. In fact, we've been in this series, for you that have been here, we've been in this series entitled Bad Boys. Now, Bad Boys is a group of 12 guys in the Old Testament now, there are multiple prophets, but these guys, they're called the minor prophets. And the reason they're the minor prophets is because the books that they wrote about their message that God gave them, their prophecy, are typically pretty short. You know, some are as short as a chapter. And so there are these 12 minor prophets, these 12 guys that God uses to give his message that wrote pretty short books. And the wonderful thing about these books is even though they were written, 26 to 2,800 years ago, their messages are still relevant today. That the issues that were tackled by God 3,000 years ago, a lot of them we still struggle with today. In fact, this morning as we jump into this story about Habakkuk, about his prophecy, his message that is recorded in his book, we're going to find exactly that. In fact, let me just give you a little bit of backdrop on Habakkuk and kind of what's happening in his life. Again, God had his people, the nation of Israel. He had a plan and a purpose for their life that ultimately they would know God and love God and serve God. And God told them, hey, as long as you're serving me and doing things my way, you're going to be blessed. But if you go off and do things your own way, you're going to be, you're going to be cursed. Like things aren't going to work out the way you want. If we want God's best, we have to do it God's way. And you follow the timeline in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel that they struggle with this cycle that God will bless them, they'll be in a great place and they'll begin to rebel and do things their own way. In the rebellion, God will send typically another nation to come in and fight against them, basically to get their attention. 
that in that stress, in that struggle, in that trial, they'll turn back to God. And God always responds. God always rescues them and delivers them. And they get in a good spot and eventually they rebel. That's the cycle in the Old Testament. Well, the book of Habakkuk is in the middle of one of these cycles. In fact, last week when we talked about the book of Haggai, I told you about this really important date, 586 B.C. This was the year that God used this incredible global power called the Babylonians to come into Jerusalem. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish culture. It was the hub of their worship. They destroyed the temple. And remember Haggai, his story was God's call to rebuild the temple Well, this is about 100 years before. This is just when the Babylonians are just coming in. There's starting to be some scrimmages on the borders between the Babylonians and the Israelites. And not just that, but not just those scrimmages and battles, but inside the nation, man, things were coming apart at the seams. Um, When you look at what's happening, like there was um, the fields were empty. The herds were dying off. There was a famine. People were starving. I mean, it's like a bad Jewish country song, right? Like everything was going bad. And basically the heartbeat of Habakkuk is this question that you and I ask as well. Here was his big question. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Like Habakkuk's looking around. He's looking at all of the battles. He's looking at all of the struggles and the starvation. And like God's people are in the middle of all this chaos. And he's looking at God. He's like, God, why are you letting these bad things happen to good people? Have you ever asked that question? A lot of us in this room, and again, we're facing struggles and challenges. That's the question. Sometimes we're not in the middle of it, but it's just a theological question we wrestle with. God, why do you let bad things happen to good people? Well, thankfully, the book of Habakkuk, in three chapters, he records a conversation. Habakkuk, his prayers to God, God's response to Habakkuk, and we got to get this, this, this picture, this solution, this answer to this big question that I hope today will minister to every heart, that if you're in a tough place and you're asking tough questions, that today you'll find an answer. And so here's, here we're going to jump right in. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, this was how his conversation with God started. He said, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. He said, violence is everywhere, and I cry out but you do not come to save. He said, must I forever see these evil deeds? Like Habakkuk's looking around and there's all this destruction and there's all this turmoil and all this heartache. He says, God, am I gonna see this stuff forever? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence and I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The same perplexity the prophet faced about his problems is the same perplexity that people today face. Like, again, the question is, like, God, why are you letting bad things happen to good people? And so this is the prayer that Habakkuk prays as he's trying to figure out, he's trying to navigate life. He's trying to make it all make sense. And I love it because God responds. And this is, this is God's answer to Habakkuk of why are you letting bad things happen to good people? I want you to see this as we read it, that God, he doesn't tackle the bad stuff that's happening yet. We're going to get there. But what he does tackle is this presumption that they're good people. Notice what God says. He says, the Lord replied, look around. Everybody say those two words, look around. God says, hey, before you get so quick on the bandwagon that you're good people, hey, look around at really what's happening in the nation. He says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. 
I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they will march against the world and conquer other lands. Like God is letting Habakkuk know, like, yes, I am going to use this, these Babylonians and you're going to go through a tough season. But God on the front end, he's answering our question and he's answering Habakkuk's question about, again, like this presumption that they were good people. See, what was happening in the nation of Israel at that time was they were a people that had gotten away from God. They had forsaken God's laws. Like the local governments were oppressing poor people. There was all this internal fighting and civil war that was happening. And so from God's perspective, he was looking down at people in rebellion and worshiping false idols and fighting and bloodshed. And while at the same time, Habakkuk's like, hey, we're good people. Like, you know, think about that. What God is saying is, hey, before you play the good card, that you're good and only good people deserve good things. God tells Habakkuk, hey, look around. See, let's be honest. We, we don't have a problem when bad things happen to bad people. Like, you know, you're driving down the road. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but typically I'm the guy maybe going a little fast on the road. But have you ever had a guy pass you down, down the expressway? Like, I mean, he's flying and then like five minutes later you pass him and he's pulled over and he got a ticket and you feel good about it? Yeah, all of us, right? Because man, he deserved it. You know, or we have certain individuals or lifestyles or groups of people and we think, man, they deserve bad, like child molesters. How could anybody ever hurt a kid? If they hurt a kid, they deserve to be hurt. If, man, if I could ever get my hand. See, we don't have a problem when bad things happen to bad people. We have a, bad, we have a problem when we think bad things happen to good people. And so like God is addressing this self-righteousness that, that Habakkuk has that like they're good. This is the same thing that Jesus and his disciples, Jesus' disciples wrestled with. And Jesus tackled this mindset that bad things only happen to bad people and good things should only happen to good people. There's a conversation in Luke chapter 13 that you can check out. Basically on the news feed of the day, rolling in the Insta stories was this story that had just happened that the Roman Empire had gone in and killed a handful of this local group of people as they were on their way to worship God. And the question of the disciples is basically, well, God, uh, Jesus, basically something bad happened to them because they were bad people, right? And Jesus responds to their story with another story that was trending in the day. It was a story about this tower called the Tower of Siloam that had fallen and literally fallen on a handful of people and crushed them. Again, the mindset is that bad things should only happen to bad people and that good things should happen to good people. And basically, Jesus strips everybody of this mindset like we're good and we deserve and demand good. And he basically turns the question back on the disciples, not why did, the, why did, this, uh, why did this tower fall on them, but why didn't it fall on you? See, like for us to wrestle through this really difficult topic and to answer the question as simple as it is, why does bad things happen to good people? Like right out of the gate, God strips Habakkuk of his self-righteousness and makes him look around at what, all the chaos. See, man, sometimes what's happening in your life that feels really bad that we blame God for, like we've caused some of it. Like we've created some of the chaos. And God's saying, hey, listen, I want you to take a look around the reality is, why, isn't, why are bad things happening? The question is, why are good things happening? Because we don't deserve that. Anything good that ever happens in our life is a response of God's goodness in our life. Nothing good we can earn, but God's goodness just being given to us. 
But then he goes on in the story and in this conversation that Habakkuk's having, and he tackles this big question. Now, now that he's dealt with this presumption that we're good, he tackles why does bad things happen? And God says this in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. He says, O Lord, my God, or Habakkuk prays, O Lord, my God, Holy One, um, you're eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you've sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than they? He says this, he says, will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in the heartless conquest? See what Habakkuk is wrestling with now, once he settled this in his heart, okay, God, I, I don't deserve, I don't deserve good. Like I, I'm not, I'm not righteous. We're not perfect. Like I get it that you judge sin and like, okay, God, I'm settled with the issue that I'm not as good as I think I am, but let's talk about the bad. God, you're allowing this bad to happen. You're allowing these wicked, corrupt, warmongering Babylonians to come in and destroy us. Like, we may not be bad, but they're horrible. Like, he calls them, he says, like, we're not very righteous, but they're way less righteous than us. And so, man, he's, he's wrestling with this, again, this idea, like, God, like, what's, like, why would you allow this evil? Why would you do this? And what God is trying to get Habakkuk to understand in this morning, as we tackle this difficult question, why do bad things happen to good people? Like basically what God is trying to get um, Habakkuk to understand. And ultimately this, this has been recorded for all of us today who wrestle with this question to get us to understand that there is purpose in our pain, that God is working in the background, that God is working in situations that we can't understand. And it may not make sense to us in the moment, but sometimes God will allow a moment of pain if it will process and get us to the place that he has for us. All of us in this room, man, we have gone through times and we have gone through seasons and we've gone through challenges. And I want you to know Habakkuk is hearing from God and we need to hear today from God's word that God is working in those situations in a way that may not make sense. I mean, think about this. Again, Habakkuk's looking around in the war he's seeing break out. Like God's saying he's behind some of it, but he's using it. And it doesn't make sense to Habakkuk. Let me maybe frame this in a way like philosophically. Uh, this is a, something I read in a, in a book recently that I went through, and it was just kind of da- uh, tackling some diffi- difficult uh, philosophical questions and challenges. And basically, here was the idea. Here was the way that this guy proposed this issue. He said this. He said, imagine during World War II when it was the Allied forces versus the Axis. Think of the Nazis versus the Americans. It was bigger than that. But he said, imagine if there was an American spy that slipped into a Nazi bomb factory. And like the mindset was that this guy, this spy, this American spy was going to get in and destroy this bomb factory essentially destroying all the bombs it was producing and would produce that potentially would kill tens and thousands of people. And so this spy slips in and on his way in to destroy this factory, he sees one American soldier being tortured. Does this spy intervene on the one and give up on the thousands? Or does he stay on his mission and forsake the one to save the thousands? 
Now, I'm just going to tell you for us, it's hard for us to wrestle through it. It might seem like, man, there's a greater good. And that's really what God is saying. In the moment of pain that these Babylonians are coming in, God's saying, like, I've got a greater good that I'm working on. In fact, I would say it this way if you're taking notes. Our story is bigger than our situation. Come on, somebody. Like all of us in this room, we are in some tough situations in life that don't make sense that we want to get away from, that that we want to run from, that we want God to hurry up and fix. And God is just trying to say, listen, all you see is the page in the book. All you see is one story in the volume. There is a bigger story that God is working and developing in our life. And even though sometimes it comes through pain, through pain, and sometimes it comes through difficulty, God is using those situations. God is working out our story in the middle of a situation. Come on, some of you in this room, you know that God has been faithful to you. God's worked out situations that you've been in. Maybe some of you watching online right now, you can think of a tough time that you were in and how God worked those things out. And here you are today. This is what God is saying to Habakkuk. God is saying, hey, listen, man, I'm, it may not make sense in the moment. It might be painful in the moment, but God said, I'm gonna pull purpose out of it. I'm gonna take meaning out of the difficult situation and challenge that you're in. I'm gonna make the mean stuff mean something. And so he goes on and in fact, here's God's response as they move through this situation. First, again, God tackled the idea of the presumption of good. Well, now he very specifically tackles like, what do we do with the bad? When bad things happen, how do we manage it? How do we navigate it? Habakkuk chapter two, verse two, this is God's response. Then the Lord said to me, uh, Habakkuk, then the Lord said to me, write the answer plainly on the tablets. This is what God's saying. Write the answer. What is the answer to pain? What is the answer to difficult moments? What is the answer when, when we go through these seasons that don't make sense, when we're facing divorce, when we're facing sickness? He says, here's the answer. He said, I want you to write it down really plain so that the runner can carry the correct message to others. It's important we have the correct message. Like God, it's not that God doesn't care. God cares. It's not that God is powerless to do anything about the pain. God is all powerful. The answer, the answer isn't that he doesn't care. And the answer isn't that he's not powerful enough. The answer is this. He says this. He says, verse three, this vision, this is what God says. This vision is for a future time. God is saying what I'm doing in your life, what I'm doing in your story. He's saying you don't see in your situation, but he says it's for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God's saying, I'm going to, if it seems like I'm not working, if it feels like I'm not in the situation, God's saying, be patient. I'm working it out. Well, God, what do we do while you're working it out? What do we do while we're sick? What do we do when our kids are in rebellion? What do we do when our, when we're facing bankruptcy? God, like, what do we do when life isn't working out? And here's, here's the apex of Habakkuk. This is the crescendo moment of the entire book. God's words for all of us who wrestle with this tough topic of what do we do when bad things happen to good people is this. Habakkuk 2.4, everybody here read this. But the just shall live by faith. But the just shall live by faith. God is saying, ultimately, as you navigate the difficult situations and circumstances of life, you gotta do it by faith. You just have to trust God And that might seem like a really uh, bad religious answer, but that's God's answer. And what he's saying is this, because let's, let's just all be honest, man. We love the results. 
We love the results when God's works. We just don't like the process. Like we love it when, when God shows up and rescues us. We love it when God provides. We love it when miracles happen. We love it when God restores our family. Like we love the results. We just don't like the process. And God is saying you have to fall in love, not just with the, with the outcome. You've got to fall in love with the process. See, when the Bible describes our, when the Bible describes our salvation, it describes it um, as something that's finished. And it also describes it as something that's in process. So which is it? Are we, in fact, the Bible says we are saved. And then in some places it says we're being saved. Well, which is it? Are we going to be saved or are we saved? Well, let me just be clear. If you have put your trust in Jesus as your savior, if you've put your hope in him to forgive your sins, then you are saved. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. But now we are in process of becoming like Christ. Like our life journey is we are becoming more and more like Christ. Well, let me just tell you, because this is going to be challenging, but how do we get to that? How do we get to that product? Well, the answer is this, man, that ultimately God does it through difficulties. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, man, that, that God works our faith and he strengthens our faith and he refines our faith through fiery trials. Basically, what Peter was saying is what Habakkuk learned, that sometimes God uses, God uses the bad things to grow us and to shape us. God's not trying to get us to run from him. God wants in those difficult moments for us to trust him and to run to him, to know that he's a good God. He's a God who's in control and he's a God who's using the circumstances to write our story, that he is good and he's doing something amazing in our lives. Come on, somebody. That's who God is and that's what God's doing. So in fact, if you're taking notes, I would say it this way, that we have to endure the process to achieve the product. We have to endure the process, the process sometimes of fiery trials, sometimes of situations that don't make sense, of circumstances that are hard. Like you have to sometimes endure those difficult moments. You have to endure the process to get to the product. The product is us growing. The product is us having a, a stronger faith. Our product is us becoming more like Christ. Our product is getting closer in our walk with God. Like think about life for a minute. Think about it this way. Right, so uh, all of us in this room, we've all been in this place where, um, like, some of us working out. Like, think about the think about the process of working out. Like, nobody likes to work out. You know, nobody likes. In fact, you don't see on the Insta feeds, you don't see people posting pictures often of people working out. But man, they will show you the product once. Man, they've lost fifteen or twenty pounds. Man, they got some selfie action going on. Right? People don't celebrate. People don't celebrate or love the process of working out. People don't take pictures of bean sprouts and tofu for lunch. But man, they love the product. People love once they've lost weight, once they look healthy. Think about you that are in school, right? It's not about the process, it's about the product. Man, some of you are sacrificing and you're working hard and you're up late at night studying. Man, getting ready for tests, writing papers. Well, most people aren't in school because they love the process. Why are they in school? They're in school for the product. They're going through all the difficulty and heartache while friends are going to movies and going out late and hanging out, man. They're, y'all are studying. Do you know why? Because it's about the product. It's about, that, about the graduation. It's about the degree. It's about the career. What about jobs? Like, I'm thankful I have a job that I love to do. 
But let's be honest, man. Most people, we're glad, come on, for the 4th of July this week that we get a break, we get a paid day to stay home from work. Because most people don't love work. So why are people getting up early? Why are people working, man, sometimes out in this hot Alabama heat? Why are people enduring that process? Why? For the product of the paycheck. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God. The same is true as we face difficulties that we have to trust that God is working in those situations. We got to trust that God knows what he's doing. Even though it's painful in the moment, God is working that out for our good. Like, you know, most of us in this room who have young kids, you've gone through this. It's one of the most difficult things to go through as a parent. And that is when you take your kids to the doctor for shots. Like we have three kids and all of you that have have kids, you go through this. Like you can't tell your kids you're going to get them shots because they won't go and they'll fight you the whole way. So once they get there to the doctors, they go in the waiting room and you can tell they're anxious. They don't know what's happening. We've not told them a shot's coming, but they finally get into the doctor's, you know, into the exam room and the doctor comes in and man pulls out the shot. Everybody remembers that moment you see a shot because the needle looks this big. And kids immediately freak out. No, no, like they try to bargain. No, I'll do anything. So, man, all of our kids hated shots. But especially, man, our middle daughter, Lauren. When she was a kid, she was freaking out. Man, screaming and yelling. Like it wouldn't just disrupt the office. It would disrupt like whatever complex the doctor's office. Everybody could hear Lauren screaming. Man, the hardest thing was as a dad laying on your daughter and holding her down basically so the doctor could torment her, so the, so the doctor could torture her with this, with this needle. But you know why, man, in, in, in the moment, probably all my daughter felt like was I got a bad dad who's hurting me. But y'all know it, man, I was, I, was, I was allowing my daughter to feel some pain to keep her from some long-term sickness. And what God is doing again is he's saying, listen, I want you to know something. If you'll endure the process, I'll get you to a product. If you'll trust me through the difficulty, I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to bring beauty out of ashes. I'm going to turn this situation around. God is saying, I'm going to work all things together for your good. But man, in the process of the bad, in the seconds of the circumstances where it doesn't make sense, God is saying, man, we just have to walk by faith. In fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says it this way, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, and he throws this in, and not by sight, which means you can't always trust your eyes. Like you can't always sometimes, you can't sometimes see God, but you got to trust that he's working. If I said it this way, I said, hey, uh, show me the elephant in the room. Well, we can look around. There's obviously no elephant. Elephants are easy to spot. They're huge animals. It would be obvious to see an elephant. But if I said, hey, show me, show me the lice in the room, like, you know, some of you are going to start getting an itchy head talking about this. But, like, there might be lice somewhere. Well, we can't see it, but you can later on feel the results of it. Like, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, like, in this process of going through hardship and heartache and where life doesn't make sense, like you got to trust God and you can't walk by faith. You got to, you, or you can't walk by sight. You can't trust your eyesight. You can't trust your feelings. You got to trust the goodness of God. You got to trust the power of God. He's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the future. We got to trust that he's going to work this out. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is learning in this moment. He's like getting it that God is absolutely working. In fact, you get into Habakkuk chapter three and after God challenges the idea for Habakkuk that, hey, I'm too good for anything bad to happen. 
God addresses that. And then God addresses the idea, okay, God, but bad things happening. Why? Why are you letting God says, hey, man, I'm, I'm using this bad for your good. I'm bringing purpose in your pain. Like what I love is really chapter three because there's this huge shift and change in the tone. Habakkuk goes from panic and doubt and discouragement. And man, he says this, check this out. Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17. Habakkuk looking around at all the destruction around him. Here's what he says now that he's heard the heart of God. He says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barrens are, uh, are empty. He says this right here. This is the crescendo. This one word, everybody shout this word. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Now, let me ask you a question. What happened in the story? Well, we see what's shifted in the story, but nothing shifted in the circumstance. See what brought him out of hopelessness and what brought him out of this anxiety and this doubt of God, why are you letting this happen? God, where are you at? He didn't experience an external change in his circumstance. He experienced an internal change in his perspective. He stopped asking why and he just started declaring this, yet, yet I'm gonna trust you. Like we would say it this way, we wouldn't talk about our vines being barren and our fields being empty. Like we could say it this way, God, even though I just got laid off from my job and even though I just got a bad report from the doctor and even though my kids are off the rail right now, running in rebellion, God, even though my marriage might be struggling, yet, come on, everybody say that word, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, I'm gonna trust you, God, that in the pain, you're gonna bring some purpose. That in this, in this circumstance, God, you're still writing my story. That, God, you're going to work this out. What Habakkuk learned is this. And, like, guys, we got to get this. Is at any one time God is working, like, 10,000 different ways in our lives. We may only see two or three of them, but God is still working. Habakkuk figured out that, like, God wasn't just working personally in his life, but he was working on a political landscape. God was working in nations to bring it all together for good. So in your relationships, in your ups, in your downs, in your heartaches and heartbreaks, God's saying, I'm working in all of it. I'm using all of it. And so yes, bad things happen that are painful and hard to manage and difficult to understand. But in the middle of everything we go through in life, yet, come on, say that word one more time, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. There's a great story of a guy by the name of Alec, uh, Alan Gardner. Alan Gardner, you can look him up. You can check out his name. He was a, uh, the first missionary to South America. But before he ever ended up in South America, he spent some time uh, overseas doing some other mission work. In fact, uh, Alan Gardner, he ended up in, uh, in what's known as South Africa today. At that time, um, he spent time in what was called Zululand. Man, he took the gospel to that part of Africa, to that nation on the continent. Man, people begin to give their lives to Christ and experience God's grace. And he was so moved by what God did in his life in South Africa that he decided to go to South America, specifically Chile. And uh, he loaded up a boat with several people with six months of supplies and he sailed. However, unfortunately, his ship never made it to his mission. In fact, they, um, they lost the boat, they washed up on shore and they waited it out for someone to come rescue them. 
they waited it out for someone to show up and to bring them more supplies. And weeks turned into months, and ultimately um, time passed that everybody that was shipwrecked passed away. And about three months too late, a rescue ship with more supplies finally showed up, found him and his team. And what's so really cool about this tragic story about this missionary who wanted to serve God, who ended up losing his life in the process, they found Alan Gardner leaning against the ship that was shipwrecked on the shore with a journal in his hand and a pen where he had been journaling about his experience. And do you know one of the last things written in his journal? I mean, think about this, man. He gave up everything to go follow God. He gave up everything to take the gospel to another nation, to go tell other people about God's love. And man, instead he ends up shipwrecked and starved. And you know what his perspective was in the middle of the bad things happening? One of the last things recorded in his journal was Habakkuk 3.18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. It's like he knew that God, even in the middle of this, you're working it out somehow. And sure enough, what he didn't know in the moment, but he trusted God the story of Alan Gardner got out and other missionaries, about 10 other missionaries in a very short period of time followed in his footsteps because of his story, because of his passion and took the gospel to South America. So man, I'm just telling you, like what didn't make sense in the moment for Mr. Gardner, what didn't make sense for the missionary, God worked it together still for the good. I'm telling you, God is doing that for us. Finally, I would say it this way. This is to sum this whole message up is this, you may not always love the plan of God, but you can always trust the God of the plan. Man, let me say that again. You may not always love the plan of God, but you can always trust the God of the plan. The plan may not, may not make sense. The process may be difficult. The moments might feel overwhelming. The circumstances might be discouraging. But man, there's a God in the middle of it that's working it all together for good. I'm just telling you in this room, if you are in pain, if you're in a situation that doesn't make sense, let's make a decision today that the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray all across this room, Lord, I know that, uh, Father, we all face struggles and challenges and difficulties. And God, a lot of times those things bring up questions that we don't know where the answer is because, God, we don't know where you are. God, sometimes we question where are you at. We question, God, do you care? God, sometimes we shake our fist at heaven and say, God, why are you letting this happen? Lord, in our marriage and our kids and our health and our finances and our careers and our college educations, Lord, sometimes those things are falling apart around us. And God, we just want to know why. And so, Father, I pray you would speak to every heart today and people would find hope in you. Listen, all across this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you are going through a situation that doesn't make sense and you just need hope, I want you to lift a hand. If you're here, man, things maybe aren't good at home or aren't good in your marriage or, again, your finances, it's held, all of our circumstances. If you're here and you're facing a season that doesn't make sense and you just need hope today, I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on. Father, I thank you for every hand in the air right now. I pray that, God, you'll speak to every heart and help them find hope and confidence in you. God, again, what Habakkuk learned, what we're learning today is the just shall live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.